fun. Such a great, uh, great crowd here this morning. So good to see you all coming out and taking the opportunity really to gather together and to worship the Lord. Because we know that there's so many things that God can do when we come together in his presence. And we really need to be with each other, don't we? We're in a place where, where you know, many are lonely or many are holed up in their homes. But you know, this is one opportunity that we can seek God, but we can also spend time with one another and worship the Lord that we serve. And it's really an important moment for us to continue to do so, even in the midst of all that we're facing. And of course, we're taking the necessary precautions, and I hope you are too. But we want to be sure that we can still gather together and worship the Lord here in this place. This week is the wrap-up week of the Rise Above series that we've been doing now for eight weeks. And I don't know if you know, but sometimes, you know, when you go back through the year, you go back through a series and you, you think about all the things that have been talked about, or all the things that you've learned throughout the series, you find out you actually remember quite a bit. There are quite a few things that still apply, and sometimes you need to be reminded of those things. So this morning what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a quick overview of all the things we've covered in eight weeks. So don't be alarmed. I did condense, and we won't be here for the full time for every one of those messages. But I do think it's important to have these reminders to remember the journey that we've taken so far with this series. Now, we first started this series talking about if you've ever been in an airplane flight on a stormy, rainy day where there's clouds and there may be thunder in the air, you may know what rising above a storm looks like. Why? Because you know when that flight takes off and you see the gray clouds and the rain and possibly even the thunder around you, but then you reach a certain elevation you get above the clouds, you get above the storm, and you no longer see the storm. You don't sense the storm like people on the ground do. You see something different. And this morning, what I've been challenging us over these last eight weeks to do is to rise above the storm. You see, the storm can go on below us. But what God is calling his church and his people to do in this moment is to rise above. This is not a time for the church of Jesus Christ to contribute to the chaos that we see in our world. You see, because our hope is anchored not in our world and not in our politicians and not in the things, not in disease or hospitals or doctors. Our hope is anchored in Christ. And so we should view things differently than what the, wor the world around us is viewing it and how the world around us is viewing it. So the church is not called to rise and continue more chaos, but is actually called to rise and become part of the solution. So week one, we talked about rising above fear. Now, one of the things that we've talked about is that fear has permeated every aspect of our nation. Right now, our nation is characterized by fear, division, anger, hurt, and in short, we are a broken nation. And broken people act in broken ways. And this is what we've experienced over the last several months. That brokenness has manifested itself in many ways, including fear. The fear of being pulled over because of the color of your skin. Or what some of our Christian or brothers would say, being pulled over, guilty of driving while black. I've listened to stories from many of our brothers and sisters of color, and you may choose to turn a blind eye to it. 
But there are forms of racism that still exist in our nation because we are broken. On the other side, all the police have been painted with a broad brush that says that they're all bad, which is just another form of stereotyping that's not much different than racism because you're taking one big group of people and you're calling them all one thing. Yes, we're broken. Then there's the fear of the riots. We see the damage that is done to many people who have worked hard to build these businesses. And we see them being destroyed. Why? Because our world is very broken. Then you add to that the global pandemic. 771,000 people, as of this morning when I checked, worldwide have died of COVID-19. 771,000. Then there's the fear of a tanking economy. There's the fear of sending our kids to school. Should we do it? What's the right thing to do? I'll pause here just for a second to say, body of Christ, pray for our administrators and our teachers and all those that are trying to make decisions that no matter what decision they make, people are going to be angry at them. No matter what they do, they can't do anything right. I do not want to be in that position. Please, I'm asking you as the pastor of this church, as a, as a member of your community, be praying for those people because it is a difficult position to be in. And on top of that, I ask that you as a church and as parents who have kids in school to give grace. There's a lot of grace needed, and this is a difficult situation. It's not easy for anybody. So I ask that you give grace in those circumstances. You see, fear has invaded almost every aspect of our nation. It has wreaked havoc on our economy. It's wreaked havoc on our health, our education systems, our families, all the things that we held dear, all the things that we hold dear. But often we put our trust in those things. We put our trust in our education. We put our trust in the economy. We put our trust in our finances. We put our trust in our families. And those things can all be taken away at the snap of a finger. See, I believe that God is trying to get the attention of the church. He is calling us to rise above and to see things from a different perspective, from a biblical perspective, from a perspective that only he can see. If we are called to rise above, and I believe that we are, then we've asked the question over and over again, what does that mean for us? How do we do that in today's environment? What are we called to do? What are you called to do? What am I called to do? How do we rise above all that we see in our world? The first person we, we talked about when it came to fear was Joshua. Joshua had to rise above fear. And how did he rise above fear? He did that because he completely trusted God. And how did he completely trust God? Because he remembered all the times that God provided for the people, even out in the desert, when they left Egypt, how, the, how God parted the Red Sea, how he provided food for them, how he provided water from a rock, how their, their sandals did not wear out, and they continued to move forward. So he could point back and say, I remember the things that he did, so therefore I can trust him now in this moment where I don't know the answer. You see, the antidote to fear is trust. When you truly trust, fear dissipates. Now, we all need that encouragement, don't we? We all need to be encouraged to stand strong and be courageous. So I'm going to tell you today, be strong and be courageous. 
Don't say I never encouraged you. Be strong and be courageous. We need that. And that trust, when we trust God, when we truly trust him with our entire lives, knowing that he's in control, that leads to courage. Because then we can step out of the box. Then we can step out and trust God. We can step outside of our comfort zone, knowing that God goes with us. This reminds us of Paul's letter to Timothy, where he said in 1 Timothy 1.7, says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I want to say that again. Fear does not come from God. He has given us the spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And other translations translate this as a sound mind. Rise above fear. And the third thing we do to rise above fear is we focus our mind on the right things. You see, a steady diet of news and talking heads is not going to build you up and and feed you, encourage you. It's going to feed you fear and anxiety and keep you down. I, I watch in limited doses just so I can get the basics. I can't handle it. I don't want to be feeding myself that thing. I'd rather be feeding myself the good news of Jesus Christ. We need a steady diet of God's word. The good news. Philippians chapter 4, 8 through 9 also encourages us. It says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and you received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. And this is where I spoke about there's those if-then statements in Scripture. that says, if you do this, then God will do this. So if you fix your thoughts on the things that are honorable and right and true and excellent and worthy of praise, then you will be filled with the peace of God. Then the peace of God will be with you. You don't have to live with any anxiety and fear. You can have the peace of God. And the question is always, what are you fixing your mind on? Because my guess is if you have some anxiety and fear right now in this moment, you're probably feeding on the wrong things. The third thing we do to rise above fear is we pray. Joshua was a man of prayer. He was known that even after Moses left the the tabernacle, Moses was in there praying to God, that he stayed after and continued to pray. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Where, what is it there again? If you don't worry and instead you pray, then you will experience God's peace. Are you feeling anxiety today? Are you feeling fear? Bring it to prayer. Don't worry. Bring it to him. Then you'll experience his peace. Then we talked about rising above guilt and shame. Now, I am convinced that shame and guilt is what holds many of us as the people of Christ from being all that God has called us to be and do. Why do I believe this? Because we have an enemy, the accuser, 
that is tirelessly at work to convince you that you are not worthy, to convince you that you're not good enough, to convince you that you can't do anything for God, to convince you that you are no good. That's why we sang the song this morning, I am who you say I am, not who the accuser says I am. Remember what you did? You could never be used by God. You're too shy, too outgoing, too bold, too big, too small, too young, too old, too sinful, too good. You have no testimony. You grew up in church and you stayed in church. Too rich, too poor. And if you go down that list and check all those boxes, guess who can do anything for God? Uh, Jesus Christ himself, that's it. See, apparently only the sinless Jesus himself can be used. And why do we believe these lies? This is not God's will and plan for our life. So we need to be careful who we're listening to. I am who you say I am. I am what your word says about me. And we found this demonstrated in the woman who is caught in sin with guilt and shame. And the first thing that we, we do to rise above guilt and shame is to recognize the lies of the enemy that try to keep you down. There were lies said about this woman as she was laying at Jesus' feet, as she was thrown at his feet. The second thing you need to know, so recognize the lies of the enemy and don't listen. second thing you know is that Jesus stands for you. He stooped in the ground and began to write in the dirt, the very dirt that he created humankind out of. And then he stands, and he is her defender. Any of you without sin, cast the first stone. He has already done what needs to be done to break the chains of shame and to break the chains of regret. So we rise above regret because of what he has done in us. And then when we rise above that regret, we then walk in freedom. We don't have to carry that regret continuously over and over again. We don't have to drag it behind us as we go, that weight holding us back. And then we can be all that God has called us to be. How do we rise above culture? We talked about culture here when we, it was a Father's Day. And we talked about Noah and his influence on his children. And we see that Noah was called to do this great work of God. Noah didn't follow the crowd. In fact, people made fun of him for building this ark. They thought for sure that he was crazy. But why did he even have the opportunity? The Bible says that he, among all others, stood blameless before God. Was he perfect? No. But he continued to live his life for God despite what was going on around him. So he didn't follow the crowd. He stood blameless before God. He set the standard for his family. It says he walked in close fellowship with God. That means time in prayer, time in his word. And fourth, once you hear what God tells you to do, obey it. And that's what he did. God said, build an ark. He built an ark. So not rocket science. <laughs> then rising above life's challenges, we talked about Joseph in the Old Testament. And we see all the things that happened to him. It seems like after every corner, after everything that happened to him, continuously, it was just one thing after another after another. Things just came, kept coming to him in waves. 
He was the favored son, and he was sold into slavery, and he was falsely accused, and then he became a prisoner. And then from that prisoner, he became a second command of all of Egypt. But there was a lot of in-between time between the favored son and becoming second in command of all of Egypt. He went through many trials, and he went through many challenges. And the first thing we learn there is we don't let people determine our value because you are valuable to God. Whatever challenges come your way, God is with you and he is in control. And that's something that Joseph had to believe. He couldn't believe his brothers or the people who sold him into slavery or his slave master. He believed what God said about him, that he was going to do great things, that his brothers would bow down before him. The second thing I encourage you to do is don't give up. That's what Joseph did. He just kept going. He did, he did what he needed to do. He did what he knew to do. It would be easy to just give up. Don't do it. There's nothing gained in your life by giving up. Work hard. Gain trust. God will reward you in due season. He is in control. And the third thing we learn from Joseph, don't stop believing. God is with you even in the middle of circumstances that don't seem like he is there. Over and over again, Joseph had people do him wrong, yet he continued to believe. He knew that God had something for him because he had dreamed it more than, more than once. And he knew that if he just kept doing the right thing, it was going to work out. Then we talked about rising above our past. We talked about the Apostle Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, the Apostle formerly known as Saul. And he had this road to Damascus experience. And of course, God appeared to him on that road. And at that time, he had quite a past of persecuting Christians and going after Christians because he hated them. But then he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he had this, number one, the first thing we learn about how to rise above our past is we recognize that empty religion will not help you rise above your past. Just going through the motions, going through the rules, doesn't help us to rise above our past because Paul had all of that. He followed the rules strictly. But still, he didn't accept or didn't understand God's grace and forgiveness over his life. The second thing that we do to rise above our past is we have that encounter with Jesus. But what do we do when we encounter Jesus? What do we do when we encounter his presence? The first thing you need to do is surrender. It may take God knocking you off a donkey or it may take some other things. But when God begins to work in your life, you can choose to follow or choose to go your own way. Saul surrendered his life fully and completely, and we see the fruit of that through all of his ministry. There has to become a point of surrender, of giving in, if we're going to rise above our past. And then the third thing, we live in God's amazing grace, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. We focus on this one thing. This is what scripture says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, that lasting change, that transformation. And then how do we rise above apathy? Now we're getting closer to where we were just a few weeks ago. We talked about Moses and the burning bush. Moses was out minding his own business, doing the sheep thing, watching the sheep, watching everywhere they go. He was the shepherd of, the, of these sheep. But then suddenly in the distance, he saw a burning bush. 
So how do we rise above apathy? Well, he was living a life where he was just okay. He was comfortable just where he was. Now, what is apathy? It's defined as a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. It's a loss of passion. It's going through the motions. And that's exactly where Moses was found as he watched these sheep. Comfortable. Exactly where he was. So how do we rise above that? The first thing that Moses did is he allowed God to disrupt his routine. He left the sheep and went chasing after this burning bush. Routines aren't all bad, but sometimes we need to say, okay, I see something different. I see God's calling me to something different. I hear a voice. I hear him speaking, or there's something in my heart that he's placed there. And it's different than what I've ever done before. So we allow him to disrupt our routine. There might be somebody he places in your mind at a certain moment where he says, call them or give them something. And you hear that voice, and it disrupts your routine. You have to break it a little bit. And that's the second thing. What did Moses do? He heard the need. God laid out the need before him. The people are crying out. They're in slavery. And then what did God do to Moses? Now you go do something about it. Isn't that how most calls happen? There's a need. God places it on your heart. God speaks to you and said, now you go do something about it. That's how we rise above apathy. Why? Because if God places that in our heart, uh, we're not going to do that half-heartedly. We're going to do it with everything because it's something we care about. It's something God has placed right in here that we are called to do. Now, I, 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 bear, I think this is worth repeating. This is a quote that I read last time where I said that there were tough questions we need to be asking as a church and as followers of Christ. It says, do we see all people as subjects as God's love or only those who share our views and values? Do we spend more effort and energy promoting conspiracy theories, or I'll add to that, or certain candidates, than we do promoting the gospel? Does the world look at us and say we demonstrate radical love for the suffering and oppressed, or do they see us as ambivalent and aloof? That was a quote from Jerry Ireland in an article called Christ Community Crisis. So how do we rise above that apathy? We let God break our routine, we hear the need, and we do something about it. Then we had Rise Above Apathy Part 2 with Peter, where Peter made this huge declaration that he would never deny Christ. He would never leave him. He would never forsake him. And my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, to just be aware that this is going to happen, when you begin to declare that you are going to rise above, that, that word, that declaration will be tested. The enemy is going to come after that word and try to knock you off track. There will be tests. You see, while the disciples were in hiding, Jesus entered the room where they were. They were tested, and what did they do? They all ran and hid. The test came. And they were not up for the challenge. So they were hiding. And while they were in hiding, Jesus appeared in the room and he brought peace. And then he gave them a mission, a calling. So what's the other part about rising above apathy? We experience God's peace knowing that he's in control. Just as we said before, in his presence, peace is there. We have peace. So we experience that God's peace. But beyond that, even though these guys all made a mistake, they went running. God enters the room. Now they're peaceful about it. 
and then he calls them to a mission. I've got a job for you to do. And what do we do from there? We walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what was set out for us to do. Jesus told them, wait here until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then go out and be my witnesses. So we continue to rise above. And then last week, we were rising above by laying it down, or two weeks ago. And this is where I talked about ground living versus rising above. Ground living versus rising above. You see, Jesus came to serve and said that any of us who want to be leaders must do the same. We do not lord our power over people, but we become the servants of all. We lay down our rights. We don't declare our rights. We don't riot for our rights. We don't picket for our rights. 